So, wait a minute. Everybody said, bless you. You know, like, what does that mean? What's supposed to happen? You know, it's funny that we say that whenever anybody sneezes. In fact, some form of that blessing exists in almost every culture in the entire world. You sneeze and somebody says some form of bless you. Or gesundheit, or one of those other phrases in which we hope for some kind of blessing. Now, you know, many consider it to be just this sort of superstitious nonsense that goes on. Uh, you know, your, your spirit is falling out of you and it's a way of keeping it in by saying bless you or something, something to that effect. But it makes me wonder what it means to be a blessing because in this week's Torah portion, blessing is a major theme, particularly of the opening verses of the Parsha. If anyone has ever read through the first three verses of uh, this Parsha, we know that uh, God wants to bless Abraham and all kinds of other you know, words of blessing given to him. In fact, at one point it says, not only has God uh, promised to bless Abraham, Abram at this time, but it says to him, Ve'ye bracha, and you will be a blessing. So what does it mean? Wouldn't you all like to be a blessing? Right? I would presume that all of us would like to be a blessing in our lives. We don't want to be, want people to think ill of us. We want them to think well, and we want to be a blessing. But what does that mean? What does it look like to be a blessing? Is it just saying Gesundheit when somebody sneezes? Or... God bless you. Have a good day. Uh, these are all merely words, even though words have power. And uh, listen, we bless our children every week, and we hope that the blessing that we lay on our children's kepi is more than just uh, words. But we, make, we turn those words of blessing into something by action toward our children. At least I hope we do. And that's the same thing with being a blessing to anyone in this life, that we have to act in certain ways. So I actually wanted to take a look at uh, the life of Abram in this early stage to see some things, some things in his character that would indicate to us what being a blessing might actually look like. And as we preachers typically do, we find three things, you know, because if we go four, five, six, or seven, we have you here for an hour and a half. We don't want to do that. That would not be being a blessing, I don't think. So we'll look at a couple of things. As Abram set out from a, for away from country and family, the Torah says Abram took Sarai, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had acquired and the people that they acquired in Haran, and they left to go to the land of Canaan. And they entered the land of Canaan. Now there's an interesting phrase in that verse. That's Genesis 12, 5. It's the phrase, the people that they acquired. That phrase. In the Hebrew language, it reads, et 
הנפש אשר עשו. את הנפש אשר עשו. Now, if you know the Hebrew language, that literally means the souls that they made. The word asa means to make. So what does this mean? So the Midrash in Genesis Rabbah actually examines this, uh, this idea because it's a kind of a weird concept, the souls that they had made. And it reads there, it says, Rabbi Eliezer observed in the name of Rabbi Joseph ben Zimra, if all the nations assembled to create one insect, they could not endow it with life. Yet you say, and the souls that they had made in the text, right? He, he goes on to say, it refers, however, to the proselytes which they had made, converts. He says, then let it say that they had converted. That's, that's, that's the way it should read. Those they had converted. Why that they had made? Why asher asu? And this is to teach that he who brings a Gentile near to God is as though he created him. This is the power of the good news. That it gives life to those who hear and receive. So in the first case, being a blessing might be, let's say we're soul makers, because that's what Abram is or was. He was a soul maker. All those people he had made in Haran. And so it becomes our responsibility as those who are disciples of Messiah Yeshua, disciples of Abram, children of Abram, children of Abraham, that part of our work in this life is to be the creators of souls, to go about and teach other people about the living God, because that's what Abram did. Wherever he went, he demonstrated the qualities of God, taught people about the Lord, and made many disciples according to our tradition. And we also know that today, the three major religions of the world call Abraham their father. So if you think about it, he's made a darn whole lot of souls over the course of human history, to even to this very day, and forget about whether, how you feel about this group or that group or the other in these three major religions. We're looking at three and a half million people. Billion, excuse me, million. Billion people. You know, that's pretty good work for people who are in the business of making souls. So obviously the first question we ask is, how many souls have we made? <laughs> are we people who speak about God to others? Or is it a matter of our private thinking? You know, that's one of the problems with religion these days and spiritual life. It's, uh, we, make it, we have made it into a private matter. You know, I have my beliefs and system and you have yours and, you know, live and let live. And there's less ability, at least in this way, to share what God is doing in our lives. But we have to, we have to resist that temptation to allow things to remain in the, in the realm of pri mere privacy for privacy's sake. That there is something urgent about the good news, particularly in the world in which we live. People are desperate. 
You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the, the Pope came to New York City, and we remember it was what a big to-do it was. And the reactions that people had, I even shared a story with you about people waiting overnight in these horrible places for just one glimpse of the Pope. It indicated to me the spiritual hunger that, there exi that exists in this country and around the world. They don't, people don't know quite what they want, but they know they want God. And if we don't share, how will they know? You know, how does Paul say it? That, uh, you know, they need a preacher. And so how will they know unless they have a preacher? So we need to go out and share the good news with others, especially our Jewish people who desperately need. You know, they want a solution to what's the Mishigas going over there, on over there right now. Here's my answer. Turn to the Lord. Drop, let's all the, the, all the Israelis drop on their faces, put their guns down, and say, ha Hashem, save us. You know, Hoshana. That'll end that fight right away, in my estimation. So we have to first be soul makers, because that's our work, to share the good things that God is doing with us. And we can think about our Messiah, Yeshua, who said in the Gospel of John, he said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. Messiah Yeshua, we know, was a soul maker. Of course, without him, no soul can be made. We know that for sure. But he went about his life. The good news is preached to all. This was his primary goal. Preaching to the good news to others so that they might share in the life of God with him. So one of the ways we can be a blessing, number one, is to be a soul maker. Okay? Secondly, it says in this portion, it says that, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's stock. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. So now, according to the rabbis, the reason for the strife was that the shepherds of Lot thought that they could graze their cattle wherever they wanted. You see in that verse it says that the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land at that time. They had a right to the land at that time. God had not kicked them out yet. And so Abram and Lot could not just graze anywhere. They had to graze where they could, where there was, a, where was public land, if you will. You know, they had to be circumspect about that. But Lot's uh, shepherds didn't feel that way about it because they knew something. They knew that God had already given the land to Abram, right? They knew this. God had made a promise to Abram that one day this land would be his and his descendants. And here's the presumption in their case. Since Abram didn't have any children at the time, and the, and the closest male heir he had was Lot, who was his nephew, they're already assuming they own the land. Can you imagine this, you know, the audacity of this? How do they know, since God had also promised children to Abraham, that he would have descendants of his own? But they made the presumption. This is, of course, how the rabbis have uh, explained it all. And it makes some sense. Why fight over it? And so a big fight ensues. And, of course, Abraham is not happy with this because... He's saying, listen, you know, God has not given us all the land yet. 
we have to be good neighbors. We have to, be, we have to respect the people who are here. If God wants to judge them at some later time, that's God's business. But right now, we need to be friends. So let's share the land in appropriate ways. And so the herdsmen of Abram told this to the herdsmen of Lot. They didn't want to hear it because they were greedy punks. And so a fight ensues. So now we get into a conflict with someone else. What do we do about it? How do we handle conflict? How does Abram handle it? By being a peacemaker. So another way in which we can be a a blessing, not merely a soul maker, but we need to be peacemakers. There's lots of reasons for conflict in this world, you know. I think we were talking about it last night. You know, I I believe we live in a world of abundance. I do not believe we live in a world where there is want. There is a need for want. Let me say that clearly, because there's plenty of want. But there is no need for want in this world. There's enough for everyone to share abundantly. This is the kind of world God has made. He didn't make a world that didn't have enough for everybody. The problem is, is that we don't share. We're too greedy. We want more than we can ever use. At least some do. Perhaps they think by accumulating more and more and more, they accumulate more protection for themselves or more power for themselves or influence in the world. But they gain no brownie points with God because you can't take it with you. You can't even take a pair of socks. Do you remember my joke? So, what is the right way to do it when we, when we find ourselves in the midst of conflict? is to be peacemakers. And that's hard to do. Because it may mean, it may just mean that you have to take the lower seat. It may mean that you would not maximize your part of the, of the transaction. That you will have to give something to another in order for peace to reign in in your life. But I would ask us all, what's more valuable in life than peace? What's more valuable in life than contentment? We all have enough. We just don't need any more. So, what does Abraham do? So we take a look. It says... uh, Let me get to this portion here. I thought I wrote that down, but of course I didn't. Uh, And if you remember what happened, he goes to Lot and he says to Lot, listen, Lot, you know, it's not working out. We're just too big. We have so much. You have a lot. I have a lot. And the land surrounding us is just not enough to support the two of us. But look out there. In all this vast territory, God has given us more than we can ever use. We don't need to steal from other people. No. I'll tell you what. If you want to go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you think the right is better, by all means, you go to the right and I will go to the left. 
he allowed Lot to choose which way he would go. And he would go the other way. He was willing to sacrifice his own profit, advantage, for the sake of his nephew Lot. Knowing, knowing this, that God will provide. See, I'll talk to all you business people. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to wring from every transaction every dollar you might be able to get from it. Believe me, I know a little bit of something like this because I worked in the construction business and I was a negotiator of contracts and you're always trying to steal one last dime. And sometimes not worth it. It certainly doesn't let you sleep at night sometimes. No, Abram said, no, I'm not going to do it that way. You go to the left, then I'll go to the right. You go to the right, and I'll go to the left. We can be peacemakers in our lives, knowing that God will make provision for us as long as we have the right heart in any transaction. So it doesn't. So you could have got ten percent more. Don't worry, God will make that ten percent up in your life. You can do it if you trust in the Lord. And Abraham says. You do it. You go this way, and I'll go that. And God blessed Abram. God had Abram's best interest at heart. He loved, he loved Lot, too, and wanted the best for Lot. It was Lot who was making stupid decisions about right, left, and center. So Abram goes on, goes further than just acting righteously toward the Canaanites and the Perizzites. He teaches us that when we seek peace in any situation, we have the opportunity to be a blessing. So he says to Lot, that there be no strife between us, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers, and there's not the whole land before us. God will take care of us. And God will. You know, Messiah Yeshua's disciples were always concerned about peace. And Messiah Yeshua, one of the great qualities that he had in the midst of all of the craziness of what his life must have been like. You know, sometimes I don't think we think about it, that for the, the length of his ministry, uh, the, the man rarely had any, a moment to breathe when people weren't surrounding him, clamoring for his attention, wanting something from him. And yet he was always a man of peace because he understood his relationship with his father. And he knew how to settle into his space with God. And so he had peace inside of himself despite all the turmoil around him. And he said these words to his disciples uh, in, again in the Gospel of John. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. But I give you my peace. And you know what? If we can be peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will see God. You know, if we can be peacemakers in the world in which we live, not looking for our own advantage, but seeking the advantage of the other, God will take care of our share. And we will do a great work in the world, in bringing peace. So, we can be soul makers, 
bringing people to the Lord, and we can be peacemakers, making the world a better place to live, making ourselves welcome when we are seen. But there's one more that I'd like to get out of this particular lesson. And that is that uh, in being a businessman or anybody else, that means there's the need for the willingness to take risk for the sake of others. So in the settling of that dispute between Lot and Abram, Lot chooses the plain near the city of Sodom. That's where he sets up. Now, I want you to understand something. Lot, like, has a lot, you know, has a lot, you know. He He has, uh, Lot has a lot, Uh, a lot of stuff. He has a lot of servants. He has a lot of cattle. And he didn't just walk and bring all the suckers into the city of Sodom. You know, I mean, he, he, he camped nearby. Maybe he, had a, maybe he had a townhouse in, in the city. Uh, and b- by the way, in doing my research, I found out all kinds of wild stuff that uh, our tradition talks about Sodom. It says some really horrible, <laughs> I mean really horrible things. Uh, an evil city. And of course, that's what the scripture says about Sodom. It says it was a very evil city. The scripture describes it that way. And so it wasn't the, the best choice for a lot to have made. And yet he did it anyway, and he lived in this city. And of course, there are always enemies around. So we read of, a, uh, of an episode, in, this, in cha- I think it's in chapter 15, uh, 15 or 16, maybe 14, I don't remember exactly, in which five kings attack four, the, against four kings. These, these little... Um, you want to call them alliances of kings in these uh, in these cities in the in the plains of Shinar and that in the in the plains of the Mesopotamia come to attack Sodom, which is a very rich city. And you know, some of you will know the story that uh, along with ta- breaking down the city and the whole Shmir, they take Lot and his family hostage. Presumably, because Lot is so rich, what they want is ransom. And so Abram decides when he hears about this that he's going to help his nephew. So scripture tells us he takes his 318 bro- uh, servants, whatever, how, how many it is, how many is it? Anybody know? I'll have to write that down too. Um, well, it's not that many. He brought his uh, 300 or so servants and they attacked these kings and brought back Lot and his family, rescued them from their, uh, from their troubles. So I want to talk about being a risk taker for the sake of others. In this life, if you want to be a blessing, sometimes you have to take a risk with people. You know, it just that works out that way. It's hard to be, it's hard to be sure about every soul you ever meet, you know? And sometimes if we aren't willing to take risks with people, we leave people behind. People who don't deserve it. People who need a second chance. You know, one of the great things I admire about my wife, um, uh, knowing a little something about the ministry she does every single day. 
Every single day she's working with people who need a second chance. They need to learn how to speak for themselves, how to advocate for themselves, and sometimes just how to get a meal, a place to live, because they made a mistake sometime in their life. Or maybe they're just the victim of bad fortune. It happens, you know. Not everybody is born with a silver spoon, nor everybody takes full advantage of the, of the, uh, of the uh, chances that they are given. I wish it were so. We all wish it was so, but it's not that way. This is why the scripture teaches us that it is necessary for us to take care of the weak, the powerless, those who have lost their way, who found themselves in misfortune. It's a primary responsibility. The Torah probably speaks more about that than it speaks about any other single issue. And yet today, in a country like our own, we're still struggling with this. Oh, you know, we're a capitalist. All you have to do is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you'll get ahead. Don't worry about it. That's not true. That's not true. If it were true, it would be happening. It's not true. And forget about all the political reasons why those things happen. They do. They just do. And every, every evening when my wife and I sit down to dinner, I hear a new story about somebody like that. And there they are trying day after day after day to save one more soul. Give one more person a shot to do it again. But that means taking a risk because here's the deal. Most of the time you fail, it fails. People get into whatever patterns there are in their lives and they make mistakes and they make them again. And what are we to do? Shall we abandon everybody? Or do we try to help people find a new way? This is the risk. And you, risk, you could risk everything. You see, Abram, his nephew, messed up. He went to the worst place he could have got. All the land was before him. Not only that, he had an abundance of wealth. He was not a poor person. He had everything he needed. Why, oh why in the world did he go to Sodom? When Sodom already had the reputation it had of being an evil place. They didn't just learn about it when they went there. He made a mistake. Maybe he thought he could make a, you know, he could make a killing there. Who knows what was on his mind? The scripture doesn't tell us. And Abraham could have said, well, listen, I didn't think it was a very good idea for him to go there, but he made his own bed, let him sleep in it. Or he could do what he did. And he risks his entire fortune, his life, all that he has for the sake of his nephew. Everything. See, we don't think about, we only know what the scripture, how the story turns out, right? We only think about the story of the way it turned out. Because, you know, Abram wins a victory and there's a whole marvelous thing going on there. And of course, God promised Abram all these marvelous promises. So it was a foregone conclusion, you know, before we even started. That's the way we want to look at the story. But that's not how history unfolds. History unfolds the way it does with all of the difficulties and risk and hardship and everything that goes with it. 
and then we get to enjoy, enjoy the victory if there is one after the fact. And so we give no credit to Abram for what he risked. Because in our mind, he didn't risk anything. It was a sure bet. No, you're wrong. He risked everything for the sake of his nephew Lot. Who, by the way, goes on to make even worse choices later. Right? He could have lost everything, but no. He risked it all. And sometimes being a blessing means taking a risk with people. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to look past just what we see in front of us to the potential of others so that we can help them rise to the heights, to what they might really, truly be? You've got to be a risk taker, even if it means you fail eight times out of ten. Because it's worth it. It's always worth it. And God rewards the risk taker. The one who is willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. So, Yeshua, our Messiah, was the greatest risk taker of all. And he continues to take a risk. You know, every day, every day, another human being is, or hundreds of thousands of human beings are born, and he, his sacrifice is taking a risk for every one of them every single day. Scripture tells us about Messiah Yeshua. It says, He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and be, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He sacrificed everything. He risks everything. See, again, we think, oh, no. Yeah, it was all a foregone conclusion. He was from the foundation of the world. We have all of these scriptures that indicate to us that it was just a show. Everything was done for show. That there was no pain involved. That there is no pain involved. There's no sacrifice. None of it is true. Every day is a sacrifice for a Messiah. Every day. That's why he stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding for humanity, not only now, but in the world to come. So are we, like him, willing to take a risk on humanity, the same humanity that killed him? Imagine that. For whom are we willing to take a risk? Sometimes being a blessing means taking a risk, being a risk taker. So now we know. Here's a few ways to be a blessing. Be a soul maker. Share the good news of God with people. Give them something greater to live for. Be a peacemaker. As much as it is within your power, be at peace with all men. Give people a reason to love seeing you because they know you're a person of peace. And be a risk taker. Take a chance on people. You will be rewarded. You know, one of my favorite uh, poems is uh, The Prayer of St. Francis. I have a little card with The Prayer of St. Francis on it and I keep it in my pocket to remind her. I always have it. It's getting a little frayed and beat up now. But 
it's, uh, it means a, a great deal to me every time I read it. And I thought as I end this sermon tonight, t this afternoon, uh, that I'd share it with you. For those of you who don't know it, uh, the worship team can make their way back up to the, to the pit there. But let me, make, let me remind you of this prayer. And you all remember St. Francis. For those of you who don't know the story of St. Francis, a wealthy man who, for, who gave away every, all of his worldly goods and went to live in the, uh, I don't know, in the wilderness uh, around his country in northern, uh, in northern uh, Italy. Not the worst place in the world to be, hang out, by the way. And um, wanted to be a blessing to everything and everybody, not just human beings, but to the creation itself. And he wrote this poem. He said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not seek so much as to console, as, uh, to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in forgiving that we are forgiven, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Oh, Lord, our God, we pray that we might be blessings. He said to Avrama Vinu that you will be a blessing. May we be a blessing like our father Abraham. Make us soul makers, peacemakers, and risk takers for the sake of your people. Your people Israel and all the people of the world. And let us say... Amen. Amen.